It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. Tensions between the US and North Korea are at their highest in years over Pyongyang's accelerating efforts to build a nuclear arsenal capable of hitting America. President Donald Trump threatened to unleash fire and fury on North Korea if it continued to make threats against the US. Only hours later, Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, said he was considering a strike against Guam, the Pacific island that is home to an important US Air Force base. It is highly unusual for a US president to use such belligerent language, especially when there is a broad consensus that military confrontation could spread quickly into a conflagration costing potentially millions of lives. It also followed a US diplomatic victory after Washington persuaded China and Russia to back new sweeping UN sanctions against Pyongyang. To discuss the crisis, I'm joined from Washington by our US diplomatic correspondent, Katrina Manson, and from Beijing by our China correspondent, Lucy Hornby. Katrina, can I start with you? Why is Donald Trump using such bellicose rhetoric right now? That's a question that a lot of people around the world are asking. I don't think that anyone expected him to be quite as strong as he was. And certainly even this morning, he's done a sort of Trumpian tone down saying he'd like to increase the U.S. nuclear arsenal, but hopefully not use it. There is, of course, an argument for exercising what Tillerson, the U.S. Secretary of State, has called peaceful pressure. And Mr. Trump has alternately blown hot and cold Now, that isn't just a wild swinging. The U.S. is trying every single diplomatic means possible to bring North Korea to the negotiating table. So when they talk about exhausting diplomatic options, it's still just talk. There isn't a sense at the moment that there is a finger on the button and that this is actually about to ramp up. But the fact that Mr. Trump is talking about it is trying to put uh, Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un under the kind of pressure that they hope will bring him to the negotiating table. The problem is, it's a huge risk. And if Mr. Trump sets for himself a red line that then requires action, should North Korea continue to threaten the U.S., it will embarrass and undermine the U.S. position. And indeed, overnight, North Korea's response was not contrite, oh, yes, please, we'd like to denuclearize, we're scared of you. It was, aha, we now want to threaten a U.S. island territory of Guam in the Pacific. I mean, indeed, wasn't Donald Trump's ultimatum, if you like, overnight about fire and fury, wasn't that a red line? Yes, well, exactly. It does appear that Donald Trump set himself a red line. Now, red lines, as we know, to U.S. administrations are extremely dangerous. When Barack Obama set himself a red line over chemical weapons use in Syria, he ultimately didn't follow through. And it's one of the key things that critics worry about, that it undermined American power and the projection of power in the world. Mr. Trump himself has made this criticism of Barack Obama. Now, if he actually has set himself a red line, and according to the very vague terms he set, he said, if North Korea continues to threaten the US, we will respond in this way. Now, overnight, North Korea did threaten. The key thing is to look at whether North Korea 
conducts another missile test. That is what has really alarmed the experts here in the U.S. In the last month, North Korea did its first ever two intercontinental ballistic missile tests. That means that North Korea is trying to develop a long-range missile that can deliver a nuclear warhead to the U.S. This is the thing that the U.S. has been trying to stave off for decades. Now, if Mr. Trump's red line means if you do another nuclear test, we will nuke you, that is very, very unlikely that he would find support or even want to actually follow through on that. And if you look at what U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has said this morning, first of all, he's actually arrived in Guam, the very place that North Korea threatened to strike. And secondly, he's trying to put Mr. Trump's comments into a much more pacific context saying that Mr. Trump is merely trying to use words that Kim Jong-un will understand in order to explain how serious the threat is. The administration has very clearly tried not to allow the rhetoric of red line to overcome and characterize what Mr. Trump said, and more to phrase it as using strong language that requires a response from North Korea. Lucy, if I can come to you, how worried is Beijing about the risks of military confrontation? Well, very. And I think for a number of reasons. The first is that the North Koreans, of course, feel very threatened by the United States. And so the more the US threatens, the more the North Koreans are going to respond and the more you're going to have an escalation of the situation. So that's the first concern that the US is backing North Korea into a corner and not giving them their legitimate security guarantees that they need as a state. The second concern from the Chinese They and the Russians have put out various proposals to get the U.S. to back off from what the Chinese and North Koreans believe are provocative American actions. For instance, naval drills with South Korea. It's not getting much of a hearing. And so the Chinese believe that one of the biggest instable factors here is the behavior in Washington. Then the second big source of instability, of course, is what's North Korea going to do. And there, the Chinese attitude has changed significantly. I think that there's a lot less sympathy with North Korea now in Beijing than there was, say, three, four years ago. And a reason for that is, of course, the concern that some of these weapons that are being developed could be used against China, too. And historically, of course, China's been the biggest threat to North Korea. And so there's reasons for the Chinese to start thinking that this is a situation that really desperately needs to be cooled down both the hotheads in Washington and the hotheads in Pyongyang. I mean, President Donald Trump has been frustrated by what he sees as the lack of Chinese cooperation or its unwillingness to put more pressure, economic, diplomatic on Pyongyang. But China did back the US-led move for tougher sanctions at the UN Security Council over the weekend. Why did they do that? Is this a sign of a new approach, a new willingness to work with Washington on the diplomatic front? Well, I think the Chinese want to let the North Koreans know that they are very concerned about a nuclearized peninsula. They view that as a threat to themselves, and they don't want it to happen. On the other hand, they don't want North Korea to be the next Syria. So they have the delicate task of trying to walk between those two lines. And to be honest, the Chinese are also extremely frustrated with the Americans because, you know, it's been years now that the Americans have not been negotiating directly with the North Koreans. And this is something that the Chinese are very clear that they think is necessary. So the Chinese are always trying to put out that negotiation possibility, warn the North Koreans off nuclearizing the peninsula, and warn the Americans off escalating the situation. 
Katrina, is the sort of ratcheting up of rhetoric from the American side also aimed at pushing the Chinese into taking tougher action against Pyongyang? Yes, the US sees China as absolutely key to denuclearizing the Korean peninsula. Because North Korea trades so much with China, many of the piecemeal sanctions that have been issued thus far haven't really affected it. And they don't see any of the pressure able to actually reach the North Korean regime. They believe that they can only do that through China. And China hasn't been willing to take the same approach as the US. The US has painfully few viable options for actually confronting Pyongyang, though, doesn't it? For all the fire and brimstone from Donald Trump, it doesn't really have many viable military options, does it? No, when it's looked at this, the option of a preemptive strike is gaining some currency. But in the actual practicalities, when it's followed through, it really is, as US Defence Secretary Jim Mattis says, a catastrophic option. If the US were to put North Korea under military pressure, it would unleash a domino effect that would bring to bear huge punishment on Seoul in South Korea, on Japan. These are both countries within the range of North Korea. And this isn't just from a nuclear missile, which North Korea has never launched under an attack circumstance. This is also conventional warfare. North Korea has an enormous number of tanks. Seoul is only 50 kilometers from the border. And the idea that millions of people could be totally wiped out in very, very little time is absolutely uppermost in the military planner's thinking. That is not to say that the U.S. doesn't have a military plan should war ever break out or should the U.S. take that option or respond to something that they're worried the North Koreans might do. When I speak to the analysts who have done the war planning for a North Korea attack, They tell me that according to their tabletop war games, the US always wins, but it's at the cost of huge, huge numbers of lives. Lucy, what would it take for Beijing to actually abandon Kim Jong-un? I think the Chinese main concern is that they don't want North Korea to turn into a failed state. And that's an understandable concern. There were signs that they were not particularly married to the idea of Mr. Kim himself, but Mr. Kim kind of closed off any other options by assassinating his brother. So anybody who was entertaining any fantasies, whether in Washington or Beijing, of installing the brother as a puppet, those were wiped out with his assassination earlier this year. So Mr. Kim has kind of narrowed the options to, you deal with me, because there is no other option other than dealing with me. But it's not certain that if the Chinese could think of a different option, that they wouldn't have gone for it. They are quite happy to have North Korea as a satellite state, but of course North Korea has no desire to be China's satellite state. So you have that dynamic as well, that the Americans keep telling Beijing, do something about it, and the North Koreans have no desire to be further dominated by the Chinese. So again, we get back to the starting point of this is an issue from the Chinese point of view that Pyongyang and Washington have to sort out. And meanwhile, Kim Jong-un pours his meagre resources of an impoverished country into his nuclear missile program. Katrina, can the US give the North Korean regime any assurances that might calm the situation? Well, this really has been the game that the US has been toying with. They've been trying alternately to pressure him through words, but also... As the U.S. has gone through its own internal debate on how on earth to tame North Korea, they've increasingly realized that they cannot threaten the regime. And so if you see in the very carefully crafted statements from Mr. Tillerson, he has been trying to reassure Kim Jong-un that neither he nor his regime are at threat. This is actually 
unprecedented given the human rights abuses that the U.S. has previously focused on. This really is the first administration that says neither you nor your regime have anything to fear. Please just stop your nuclear weapons. And when they pursued that line, they've managed to get much more traction with the North Koreans in private, so we hear, but also they've been much more successful at stitching an international coalition that might support the U.S. efforts to denuclearize the peninsula. When the U.S. is much more strident and makes direct threats that can be interpreted as warlike, it tends to lose the support of the very region that will actually need to buttress the U.S. policy. And, of course, it loses its traction with Kim Jong-un, who tends to respond in retaliatory form. My thanks to Katrina Manson in Washington and Lucy Hornby in Beijing. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Next week, goodbye.